Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog, and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, I am so happy to welcome the dynamic, joyful rock star, Patricia Bazin Larson. Patricia is an entrepreneur, parenting advisor, career mindset coach, and arts educator. In 2017, she and her husband, Nick, opened Sugar Hill Creamery, Harlem's first family-owned handmade ice cream shop since 1983. Over the course of the pandemic, they opened two additional locations in New York City, and now everyone can enjoy Sugar Hill Creamery's tasty ice cream as it is available for nationwide shipping on the Gold Belly website. In 2018, she founded a new mom's group called Schmoms, <laughs> which stands for Sugar Hill Moms, which has its in-person meetings at her ice cream shop. Schmoms is a support group geared towards connecting new moms with one another and helping them navigate the first few months of their babies' lives. Patricia is a graduate of New York University and the California College of the Arts. She and her husband, Nick, have three children, Isla, who's nine, Zadie, who's six, and Nico, four. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Patricia. Thank you. That was so lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Of course. So when I heard about your amazing ice cream store in Harlem, where I grew up, and didn't have an ice cream store, <laughs> and learned about your passion for sharing parenting info, I knew we had to connect. And once we started talking, I knew I wanted to have you on my podcast to continue our conversation about parenting. I'm so excited to have you here. So let's get started. Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Great. So, you know, I often start these parenting conversations by saying that parents tend to parent towards the way they were parented if they had happy childhoods and away from how they were parented if they had unhappy childhoods. And in a recent newsletter, you told your readers, I believe our parenting styles are informed by how we were and were not parented. I believe that we parent from a place of memory, from childhood record keeping. So in a much more eloquent phrasing <laughs> that you provided, it seems that we are on the same page mm -hmm. about the importance of reflecting on how you were parented mm -hmm. and how that impacted your parenting. So, Patricia, yes. let's talk about how you were brought up. Yeah. Start from the beginning. From the beginning. I'm long-winded, so I'm going to try to <laughs> spare your listeners. I'll give you the semi-abridged version. So I was born here in Manhattan at St. Luke's Hospital in Harlem, but my family lived in Long Island. And so I was raised in Long Island from zero to four. Both of my parents are not from this country. Their trajectories are very different in terms of how they came. But I say this because I think it informed and continues to inform a lot of you know how they show up in the world and how they raised me. So my mom and dad separated. They divorced when I was about four, four or five. My mom was an anchor in the city and she met my dad actually while doing a story on Haitian painters. He was a collector and she was doing a story on a particular Haitian artist. And so they met mm -hmm. while she was at work. And that's- Let me interrupt just one second. I know what you mean when you say mom was an anchor, but for oh, the purposes yeah. of our listening audience, sure. she was a broadcaster right. and she anchored a news show. So Yeah. And she met my dad while working. She had she was covering uh, I think a Haitian artist. He was a Haitian art collector. And so that's how they met. Then they divorced <laughs> when I was around four. And my my dad had two daughters who were in his care prior to meeting my mom, right? Their, their mm -hmm. mom passed away when they were really young. And so my biological mother is their mother. Like we are sisters, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And there has never mm -hmm. been, like there's no half sister concept in our, mm -hmm. in our family. Mm -hmm. But when my parents separated, they were very settled. They are seven and nine years my senior 
So they were very settled in their life in New York. And I was still pretty young. And my mom had taken a job, a, a television anchor job in DC before they separated. So she was actually commuting back and forth between New York and DC leading up into that. So she'd be in DC for the week and then come home on the weekends. Mm. But when they separated, we just moved to DC so that her commute could be less than four hours. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I mean, I, I include this information because this is very much part of what has shaped me as a mother and as a mother who enjoys bringing to the world the things that I am passionate about and doing work that I am passionate about and living in my purpose in that regard, but then also being very present mm -hmm, for my kids. Mm -hmm. It all makes sense, hopefully, by the end mm -hmm, of the story. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so, so I was raised in D.C. from around, you know, I say around five to 17. And mm -hmm. then I came back to New York for college. But that five to 17 was with, you know, just it was my mom and I. I would come back to New York to visit my sisters and my dad over the summers. Sometimes my sisters would come and see us in, in D.C. But the majority of my life was you know, kind of like an only child, but with the consciousness of other siblings. Mm -hmm. And so she and I were like, just like two peas in a pot for from five to 15. She didn't remarry until, yeah, I was 15 when she remarried. Mm -hmm. So what I saw, what was demonstrated for me in those, in those, well, my whole life, but specifically, I think within those 10 years was how she raised me in community with her friends mm -hmm. and a lot of girlfriends that were like, you know, her friends and that she hung out with and they're all aunts to me. And because mm -hmm. of her schedule, it wasn't like a nine to five kind of job. Oh, I need to say this. This is a very important detail. She got laid off from her job when they were like bringing in the younger, you know, less expensive talent. <laughs> and she lost her position, you know, shortly after we moved to DC. So mm -hmm. that was a very earth shattering moment because mm -hmm. I think a lot, like many people, I think a lot of her identity also was in that work, you know, and she was very visible. Like a good portion of my childhood is me being out with my mom and people coming up to her like, are you Doris? I just, <laughs> you know, so, so to not, to, I'm going to just interrupt one second because you did say her name because I realized we're talking about your mom and she is Doris McMillan. And many of us who are, grew up in New York and in Washington saw her. So we, we all, we, yes. Yeah, so I just wanted to stick that in there. Sure. She's the talented and amazing Doris McMillan. So keep going. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I think when you, when your identity is so connected to your work and then something like that happens, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to, to have to sort of work through. And so as a result of that happening, she became what she calls an accidental entrepreneur because she's, she had to still support me and our life and still show up in the world in the way that she wanted to show up. So she ended up being a freelancer and she was not, that was not the plan that she had for her life per se, but that is the life that she made for herself. And so my upbringing was watching kind of like a self-made person sort of exist in the world, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. figuring out how to create a life and lifestyle that was supportive for a child in light of adversity. And the way that she did that was mm -hmm. through her very amazing ability to build genuine relationships with her friends and with strangers. <laughs> like She always used to say relationships are the most important thing in the whole world. You know, like 
And in because of that, you know, the way that you are with people, the way that you treat people, like there needs to be integrity, your character, that's who you are when no one's looking, but that is going to be the thing that's going to allow you to connect with people. And so this is like part of my foundation. And I, I the older I get, and I, you know, I teach at, at CUNY at City College, which is in, in Harlem, I'm surrounded by young people often. And I realize, I, th- I think I appreciate her wisdom more <laughs> as a result of that proximity, you know, and I try to share it with my classrooms. But that said, those 10 years were just surrounded by her attention and, and care and thoughtfulness and love for me and wanting to make sure that I had what I needed, but not in a materialistic way necessarily. So her attention during that time was very much like centered in my well-being, but then also mm-hmm. focused on her career too. And it's that balance that has been so defining for me as I have entered this chapter of motherhood because I had a mother who was very clear on how she wanted to show up in the world in this professional sense. I think that that has shaped my own take on how I want to show up in the world and that I'm not willing to leave work behind, but I'm also not willing to let work dictate every aspect of my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the art of that balance between intentional and present mothering and parenting, while also cultivating my interests in this, I guess, more monetized or professional sense has been mm-hmm. what the last five years has been for me now that we run this ice cream business. Wow. And um, <laughs> that was really long way of me answering your question. No, <laughs> no, 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 that was perfect. Perfect. And you gave me lots of things that I want to sort of circle back to. But I, I want to ask, as you're growing up with your mom, and, and there is a very special relationship I have seen from my girlfriends who are single moms with daughters, very special relationship between a single mom and an only girl child. So I have a vivid image of what it must have been like for you to, you probably had more access to all of the emotions and experiences your mother was going through than had you been with your father and your sisters. So, so I'm sure that that impacted you as well. But I want to, I want to ask you, as I ask you about that, I also want to ask you, how did she convey or did she convey her expectations of what you would do? I mean, what was set out for you and how did she talk to you about what she thought would be a good way for you to apply yourself? Yeah. So just in response to that first part, access and proximity to my mother's like emotional state, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very vivid memories of that proximity. And there is something about being raised by a single mother where the child is holding so much more than the child that's being raised by two people, (laughs) you know, because Mm -hmm. the two people are usually in communication with each other. The partner is probably holding some of that. Whereas When it's just the parent and the child, you just see things in a different way and you can feel things in a different way. I remember as a child, like being worried for her, you know, and that's not something that I believe that our children think about. They they just think mommy can do all the things, you know, (laughs) right? But I don't know that they're worried for me in the same way that I was worried for my mother. I could Mm -hmm. feel the tentativeness of life in some regard. In Mm -hmm. ways that I don't think our children have any concept (laughs) for, um, you know, and so that, you know, that when I was younger, that felt heavy at times, you know, and Mm -hmm. and there was never a moment where I thought, I just want you to be with daddy or like, I want you to be with someone. I never had that idea. Like I was Mm -hmm. very clear Mm -hmm. that their relationship was over and it needed to be over. But Mm -hmm. I think on some level, maybe it was just heavy. 
you know, and that like, and, and, and we were, she was very clear. We are not friends. <laughs> she was like, I'm not your friend. All right. Like, 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 I'm your mother and I love you. Okay. And I want the best for you, but don't get cute. You know, <laughs> you engage me. All right. You need respect. You know, so I think that that weight actually impacted the way that I was in the world because I knew that she was holding so much and I just like didn't, I think on some level, and this is me thinking now, right? In retrospect, I think on some level, I never wanted to add to that. Like I never wanted mm. to be the cause of more mm-hmm. like stuff, you know, life. Cause adulting, we all know mm-hmm. as adults, it's like hard. <laughs> like, you, yeah. Feel that, yeah. you know, I, there's never a moment where I don't see a child being pushed in a stroller and wish I were the child in the stroller right now. <laughs> push me. <laughs> Carry in a, in a baby carrier in ergo, please. You know, but so we all know that even as adults, like it's still a lot to, you know, negotiate. And mm-hmm. I think I could feel the weight of her adulting and the pressures of adulting. And I was just like, as a child, like I was a very compliant child. And she and I were just having this conversation the other day. She's like, God knew, Jesus knew what child to give me because he knew <laughs> I could not be <laughs> dealing with. You know, basically the things that you deal with with your kids, you know, like couldn't do, you know? <laughs> and I was like, it's true. I was like, and I said, I said to her, it's like, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to other parents or even reflecting on my own childhood with friends, I was like, I, I did everything right. Like I did what I was supposed to do. And she was like, that's right, sweetie. And I was like, but I don't know that that served me well, <laughs> like in my early adult life, because I was not willing to challenge and to carve my space in the world in the way that was authentic and genuinely tapped into what my needs were at the time, you know? And I was like, so mommy, I don't think that the compliance was great. She's like, but it kept you safe, didn't it? And so I was like, yes, it did. You know, like, I, you know, I never had any issue navigating the world. And because I felt that way, like, I, I just think I was able to always show up in whatever space I was in you know, willing to make it work, you know, being compliant. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think there is power to that, but then there's also power to having the space and the social emotional freedom to like rebel a little bit, you know, I never did that. <laughs> so, okay. Can I just tell you, you have just completely, it's like, I could have just said so much of what you said. Interestingly though, I grew up with both parents, but I had two brothers, one of whom uh, from my father's first marriage didn't live with us, but I had a brother who was four and a half years older. And I had the same experience, but for a different reason. I grew up four years behind a brother who confounded my parents on a regular basis with his behavior. He didn't like school and he sort of, we wanted to be an artist and he just had a different pathway that they had trouble understanding and supporting. They loved him dearly, but all this is to say that coming behind him I saw their stress. I saw everybody's stress. I saw my brother's stress. I saw my parents' stress. And I was very compliant as well as a result because I saw how much he was very helpful to me that he showed me the path not to go if I didn't want to upset my parents. And I will agree 100% that during the course of the childhood, it actually works out well because all the adults around you compliment you for being such a good child. <laughs> and, and, and I will say, I do believe that it creates a huge wealth of empathy that is very important for adulting. I mean, I, I, there are some great benefits to having that sensibility as a young child. But the flip side, as you say, is that when you have to concentrate when you're young, I mean, subconsciously on really doing the right thing or being good, 
you don't get to experience the freedom, the the relief, the kind of, so you don't get to misstep and sort of recover. So I'd say all that to say that parents, be mindful, parents that are listening, you, you really do have to be mindful of the degree to which your children are absorbing this kind of thing. I mean, you might have a particularly sensitive child who you probably should not have them in the room when you're having what you think is a normal issue. And I mean, I don't think we think as much as we might about how our lives are impacting our children when we don't think they're paying much attention. Right. It's interesting also, though, because at that time, I felt that weight because there was nothing I could do. You know, like I I didn't feel like there was any, I couldn't do anything, you know, like to help. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The only thing I could do was be in control of myself, right? right? And Mm -hmm. now, right, our kids were, Nick and I have been together 13 years and we've been married for 10 of those years. And we got pregnant with Isla like three months after we got married. So we didn't have a ton of of non-child time as as married people. But, you know, working with your partner is an all-encompassing affair. You know, our home life Mm -hmm. is sometimes our work life. We try to protect that time. Mm -hmm. But as a result, like I'll be very curious to hear their reflections of their childhood if they felt like they had pressures that I can't see right now, you know, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of the fact that their parents were both business partners and life partners. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we disagree. Like just the other day, Mm -hmm. I don't know what we were arguing about, but like I was like, (laughs) you know... (laughs) I'm just going to say later, you know, after the argument, she said, I'm just going to say, I don't love it when you all like fight. And I was like, why? It's <laughs> like, we're people, <laughs> we're, we're imperfect. And also we're not holding back feeling. You should be very happy. You're welcome. And she was like, <laughs> she was, I, was like I was like, why are you really, why don't you not, why do you not like? And she's like, well, cause I'm afraid that you all are going to divorce because she has you know, mm. friends in her life who have a dual life. You know, they live in two places. And because this has been her norm for her whole life where we've been together, she's like, ah, disagreement means separation. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, and this is, it's just coming back to what you just said about, about, you know, for those who are listening, like the proximity of our children to us when we are having a true genuine adult moment of like processing something that's maybe not just lovely, you know? And I think mm-hmm. it's that conversation though. I think it's like being in the moment to say, Hey, like, yeah, it's not great when we disagree about something, but mm-hmm. we're disagreeing about something because we have different opinions. And it's actually about how we reconcile that is the most mm-hmm. important thing. And we're all entitled mm-hmm. to our perspectives, the way that we speak to each other when we're disagreeing. There might be some opportunity for growth there on my end, particularly. (laughs) But but that we can be more, you know, that the way that mommy said that was not okay. And you, you know, Mm -hmm. so the, like, it's actually in these moments where we have shown our humanity and all of its imperfection and having the presence of mind and awareness to like unpack what's happening with our children. I think that's Mm -hmm. the power, right? Like where they can learn and it can be a teachable moment for all of us. It can be the beat that we need to just be more aware, right? Of how we are in the next moment, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my Mm -hmm. child said this to me. They didn't like that. So now, okay, next time, if there is a moment, I can just be more aware of myself, Mm -hmm. my body and how I'm controlling Mm -hmm. my, my Mm -hmm. impulses and emotions and all the things. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. So that actually makes me think of of a quick little story that is a perfect segue into my next series of questions for you in that one of the other things that we have in common is that we are huge 
proponents of parent groups. And I'm going to talk to you about your parent group that you created in just a minute. But I grew up as a parent in a parent group. I mean, for 10 years, we would get together during the school season one day a week. And what I jokingly say about it now is that it really, rather that we met with someone who was a child expert, but rather than really learn a lot about sort of how to better raise our children, what it was for us was an opportunity to confess all the terrible things that we had done the week before. And for our children, we we come, we walk in convinced that all the horrible things that had happened that we said, shouldn't have said, or that they were doing that wasn't, that we didn't know how to handle. We'd lay them all out on the table and together we would, as you said, unpack them and leave with scripts for conversations with the children afterwards. And I agree that that kind of parenting where you were all going to make so many mistakes and you can't even look at it like mistakes, we're human, we're going to live and we're going to do what we know how to do in the moment. But what I love about parenting groups and thinking about parenting as a skill set that's sort of independent of your instincts is that you can look at it after the fact, figure out what the impact might have been, and then see what you can do to sort of lessen or mitigate that impact. And so that takes me directly to your Schmoms group, <laughs> Sugar Hill Moms group. And and tell me, I, I love that it exists. Tell me how it came to be and what it does. Yeah. So when we had Isla in 2012, at the time I was working for an organization called the Laundromat Project, which is a community-based arts organization. At the time I was like the only employee. I knew the founder. I met her when I was an undergrad <laughs> and she was in grad school at NYU. And I was on maternity leave I was the only one of my friends who had a child and it was a hard time. Like, <laughs> I, I raised, I bring up the, the, where I worked because at the time it was such a, a nascent stage organization. It's like, I didn't really have a lot of discretionary income. Okay. And I was like, I have to pay for what? Daycare. It's how much? Like, oh, somebody clutching my face. It was just like, there was so much I didn't know. And I was embarking on the unknown alone. And because I had, we had Isla in November, it was very cold. And 2012 winter in New York, it was very cold. So that just added to the alienation that I felt in this new chapter because I couldn't go outside freely. I couldn't, you know, go sit in the park and let the trees just kind of bless me. You know, it was like in the house <laughs> with this baby and Nick was working as a service captain at Boulay at the time. So he was like leaving in these Italian suits and tight shoes and gone like for like 12 hour days, you know? And I remember- Let me just interject and say that Boulay was a, is a restaurant and he was working, he's, he was in the restaurant industry. Yes. So it was just like, I was really alone and he wasn't here because we had her at home. I had to like take her into the pediatrician to have her hearing test. These are the things that happen when you're in the hospital or in a birthing center. And I remembered when I did that, the pediatric office that I went to, they did the hearing test and it came back inconclusive. So I left just like a few days after giving birth, thinking that my child did not have hearing. Okay. This is, these are where my thoughts were like spiral. Okay. And nobody around me to say, Oh, that happened to me too. You know, or, you know, don't, don't jump to conclusion. Like, Let's just wait. And so I was just sitting there, like whispering into this small, like five-year-day-old child. Like, if you can hear my voice, follow me. <laughs> she doesn't know what to do. And I was just freaking out. Like, I wasn't prepared to deal with this kind of need. And, you know, I was waiting for the appointment with the audiologist, all the things. Very alone, okay? 
And then uh, we have a, a listserv in Harlem called, it's a, it's a nonprofit organization called Harlem for Kids. It was founded by Harlem Moms, and they used to have a weekly story time that was led at the PAL. And uh, the uh, Police Athletic League on 119th Street. And now it has, now they host it monthly at the JCC, which is like, I think on 118th. Anyway, but they have this very robust listserv that like thousands of people are on. Most of them live in Harlem, but some have since moved and are still on it. And it's a place where a lot of information gets exchanged. Maybe you're looking for a plumber. Maybe you're asking about a recommendation about a school or a daycare. Or you're just like, hey, there's a cool book giveaway in the neighborhood, right? And so I was on it when I worked, because I worked at the Laundromat Project, and we used to do these free art workshops at a laundromat on 116th Street. And so I remember subscribing to it well before I was a parent to kind of say like, hey, neighbors, families, et cetera, like we're doing this thing. But then when I became a parent, it became useful in a new regard. So I remember seeing an email that came in somewhere, like I think December or January about this new mom's group that was hosted at a yoga studio on Frederick Douglass Boulevard and like 114th. And I was like, new mom's group? Interesting. Huh. There are people there like me who have babies who were born at the same time as mine. And I remember seeing the price and it was probably like $200 or something like that, right? Which now I'm just like, $200 to save my life? Take it, you know, like, but at the time, because <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I'm making 40, maybe $42,000, you know, like I'm going to have to pay more than that to go and send the child today. I was like, $200? like to make some friends, like, and it's not hard for me to make friends because I was brought up by my mother. Who's just like, hi, is that a fly? The fly is my friend now, you know? So I just understand. <laughs> like I'm paying to make friends. Okay. I'm desperate. I'm very alone. I have not slept. It's cold. I can't go outside. Nobody around me has kids. I'm just going to do this. It was the best decision I ever made. I went there and I made friends with, with moms that are still my friends. We don't see each other every day, but we text. We share clothes still. We arrange playdates. A mom from my group got COVID like two months ago. I sent her some food and some ice cream. Like We're still in community with each other. It was the best decision I ever made. And that, by the way, anybody who was like thinking like I was in 2012 is worth it. Invest the little dollars that feel very, you know, do it because it also pays off in dividends. Not only do you have lifelong connections, your kids have lifelong connections. You make that back in all of the free things that you will give to each other. Okay. (laughs) So if if there's anyone out there thinking about it in that way, but that said, When we opened the shop in 2017, I was still working full time. And then it just turned out that the the job that I had taken um, was not a great match for where I was in life and where the organization wanted to go. Right. And so it's like, you know what? I'm I'm now on to my third child and I'm going to go. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to leave now and go focus on this ice cream business that we started six months ago. And so Nico, who's four now, he was born in January. I remember the day that I delivered him. And at this point, I ended up having him basically in a triage room of, of, of Mount oh. <laughs> West. They, these children, they come out of me really fast, you know, and they don't really give me a lot of work. So I was just like, ha, okay, you're here. And I remember <laughs> in the recovery room and I just thought, wait, we have a space. It's not opened in the morning time because we sell ice cream in the in the afternoon into the late evening. And this group that I know a lot of, I've met other people in our neighborhood who participated in that same group at different times is no longer available. We should have a group, you know? And so that is literally how it started because of my experience in 2012. And then because I had a space to offer. And so I just remember texting different people. I somehow over the years have built a wonderfully rich Rolodex of like 
birth workers. So like there are doulas in my life. There are like lactation consultants in my life that are just my neighbors and friends. And so I remember texting all these different people like, hey, I think I want to do this new mom's group at the shop. Would you be open to coming in to do like a talk? Because I didn't at the time feel comfortable facilitating the group. Mm -hmm. We're going to bring in all these people that are doing this in their day to day, right? I did that Mm -hmm. and I organized six or seven speakers. Um, And so each day it was a different, each week rather, it was a different speaker. And that, that was me bringing my like curatorial public programming mind together, right? Like, to curate this this lineup. And so we did that. And then at the end of the session, I asked everybody, you know, so, you know, I just wanted to check in, like, how did you like it? And they were like, honestly, I mean, it was great. It was great hearing from everybody, but like, it was the space that was the most valuable. It was me being able to be with other people who were experiencing the exact same thing. And so mm-hmm. from that, I learned, okay, I don't need to organize a whole, like a speaker series. I just need to be a facilitator, which I've been doing for like years, you know? So, in, mm-hmm. you know, having to do that in my jobs and stuff. So that was the genesis of it. And then from there, I just would put it on Instagram and on our, our website. This is a registration. You sign up and people started signing up and I've facilitated, I have a structure now that I follow, and I actually just brought on a facilitator to lead it in this last two cycles because between City College and the shop and my coaching, I was just like, I need to not feel, I'm not, I'm not about hustle culture. I'm like, I'm about living my life. And so mm-hmm. not going to be at the expense of my well-being. So I'm not ever, ever confused that I'm the only one with an answer. I was like, there are many talented people in the world and especially in our community. And so I need to bring on one of them to facilitate this group. I have a structure that I have now, you know, codified that mm-hmm. I like them to follow, but this facilitation in that regard is about active listening and being able to connect people. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. how it started and it's how it's going. So do, do the moms bring the babies or do they come up? They would bring their babies. Uh, there, I have many pictures of like me with my own baby. So this was like a wonderful organic way of like bringing your child to work, you know, mm-hmm. go being in his ergo. And at the t- like the first group, he's peers with those kids, you know, mm-hmm. and then over the months and then years, he was the, he became the elder of the children <laughs> with their babies. And is your vision that are all the new moms groups for absolutely new moms? And then do they graduate out? Or is the thinking that ultimately you would, as your children get older and you sort of gain more experience with the older kids, that you would keep them going at different child's ages? So when I started it, the vision was just, let's just solve this immediate problem for like the zero to three month moment, right? (laughs) Because it's a harrowing time. If it's your first time and you don't have other people around you, right? That's the ideal customer. It's like, people who don't have friends around them who are experiencing the exact same thing and that can mentor and hold their hand through that process, which is a lot of people, especially in New York. So since we've had it and like over the years, anytime I post it on our Instagram account, which is Sugar Hill Ice Cream. Yeah, at Sugar Hill Ice Cream. Cream, Yeah, people will say in the comments like, oh my God, this is amazing. Do you have it for four-year-olds? Do you have it for two-year-olds? Do you have it for families that Mm -hmm. have multiple children? Like at the end of the day, there's so much need around intentional community building and like continual education in community with people who are experiencing the same thing that like my vision is that Schmoms becomes a membership program where you do like a monthly thing and it's just curated content, you know, in-person 
engagement. Maybe there's a webinar, you know, like somebody's coming in to talk about a particular topic related to child rearing, right? That you can just plug into, but then you could also find your people in this space. That is the ultimate vision. What I have done when moms graduate from their series, like being in the new mom session, I bring them into that that newsletter. And it's for not just alumni of the group. Anybody can opt in. But just to kind of at least maintain a connection with them so that mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm here and when I'm ready to create that sort of membership space with someone, anybody listening, reach out. Okay. Hi. At <laughs> that wants to help me with that, that they are cultivated, you know, and open to that idea. Mm-hmm. But yes, there is, I mean, there are groups that I want to form for parents raising kids of multiple multiple ages, parents that have kids that have special learning needs. Like we have that, you know, it's like between speech therapy, dyslexia, like all of it, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing. And I have found so much community with other moms that live in our neighborhood who have dealt with that already. And I've learned, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's like, we all grow when we're together having conversations. So we need more of those things. So I want to ask you about, you are a businesswoman, entrepreneur, an entrepreneur in many different areas. And this is my favorite business question. I ask this of all the people that I talk to, all the parents I talk to who are also in business. What parenting skills help with the work and what work skills are helpful at home? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a great question and I have an answer. The parenting skills great. that help, help me at work are the fact that like things need to be done within periods of time. I have structured my day to take my children to school because it's very important to me and to pick them up because that's also important to me. Mm-hmm. That means I have a finite period of time to get things done, which means I have to be very circumspect about what my priorities are, which means I need to really think big about what my goals are so that I can align all of my actions to support that, right? That doesn't mean that everything always happens in that period of time, but because of my parenting obligations, if you will, that I've actively signed up for, I use that to guide my day. It's the, I, I call it with my coaching clients, I, like it's the children metronome, okay? That's the thing that's mm-hmm. going to shape the cadence of your day. And as a result of becoming a parent, I'm not necessarily, I mean, people think I'm a very highly productive person and I don't, I'm like, that's not wrong, but productivity is tricky because it's like rooted in a lot of colonialism, imperialism, and a lot of things that make the world bad. So I'm like, rest is part of productivity. But anyway, so that's another conversation. But having, being really aware of my child metronome allows me to prioritize accordingly, right? And it just allows me to choose like the high level things that need to happen in order to move a needle on whatever it is I'm working on. The work parts that help me at home are that in a work setting, We know if you're in a company, in an organization, you can't do your job alone. You can't. Mm -hmm. You got a team of people, right? And so how do you deploy that concept at home? You as the parent are not the only rainmaker in that house. There are active, I mean, when they're two, there's only so much they can do, right? And when they're baby, they're just like, my job is for you to not throw me away. So I'll be cute. Okay. (laughs) But as their motor skills develop, there's more that they can do, which means that you have to be patient, just like you would with a new hire. You have to be patient for them to learn their job and role in the home. But that level of delegation How do we sort of deploy responsibilities of things that need to happen in this community called this home to our small people is the work sort of lesson, right? 
Mm-hmm. You are part mm-hmm. of the team, okay? <laughs> like, it's not mommy and daddy. I, we're the bosses, but like, you're on this team. You live in this department, okay? Called this right. So how are you contributing? And, you know, we understand that on some level, like with chores, right? But chores, it, it almost removes the reason why you need to do it. Chores are like, mm-hmm. often, we're just like, oh, I just got to do my chores. You know, it's like, no, no, no. You have to contribute to this community. Like, the things don't mm-hmm. just magically happen, okay? I need you to do this because when you do this, the other things can happen. I refuse to empty the dishwasher anymore. I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I've learned that's something that they can do. They have shelves that they can reach, okay? I, I put away the things that they can't reach, but I, I'm like, the dishes will pile up in the sink until that dishwasher is empty from children's things and things that they can reach. And so what mm-hmm. happens is it's a visual prompt and reminder. When you don't do this, when the sink gets full, then everything else explodes. Literally the house just unravels within a second. Mm-hmm. So because you didn't do this little small thing, this is the domino mm-hmm. effect and how it impacts our quality of life. So I'm gonna need you to do that. So that's mm-hmm. the, that's the transferable thing for work stuff. Wow, that was such a great answer. Right? And I fervently wish that I had thought about doing something like that because no one empties the dishwasher. <laughs> My children are in their 20s, but <laughs> in any event, <laughs> that's another story as well. <laughs> so finally, I'm really focused this season on wellness. Mm. And that's a whole, we can have a whole session on wellness based on what I know from your writings and from where you operate. But instead of asking you what you say to your group, I'm going to end this by asking you how you do it yourself. Mm. Like, how do you practice self-care as a mom, especially given all of your roles and responsibilities? Okay. Real true facts, real talk, it's really hard, okay? Like, I'm acutely aware of my need to take care of myself because if I don't, nobody wins. I'm shorter with the children. I am more impatient. I'm just, I'm more impatient with, I'm just more irritable. And so last week (laughs) I had spring break from CUNY. And so my my schedule was like, oh, I've got this four hour block of time on Tuesday and Thursday that I'm normally like going to campus, teaching, prepping for the next class. And what did I do, Carol? I got a massage. I got a 90 minute massage. And so I used that time to just spontaneously go find a massage somewhere close to school. I walked with my friend home. One of my best friends and I send our kids to the same school. And we have decided that we need to do like a once a week walk where she, she lives in the Bronx. And so we will walk to my house and then she gets a cab home. We mm-hmm. walked together without any agenda. Um, we just stopped, looked at the trees, ran into a mom friend that we were in a babysitting co-op that I organized a long time ago on the walk, stopped and talked to her. No agenda. Like the self-care mm-hmm. for me is about time to stare into the void and to be serviced. Okay. So like that might yeah. be yeah. Like, a meal by myself, but I'm not rushing through. That might be getting a massage. That might be getting a manicure. That might be getting just like taking time for a walk. No agenda. That's the self-care. Carving out Mm -hmm. the time to not be called. Don't call me. Don't ask me to solve anything. I'm not available. And so I am working on carving that time out, like protecting that time. I was talking to my own coach about this, like, as things get busier and as our projects come to life, like it's going to be more paramount for me to protect this time for nothingness. And that is mm-hmm. my self-care <laughs> intention and fledgling practice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I so appreciate first that you said it was hard because it is hard and self-care and wellness, we talk about it all the time. And yes, it's very important. It's really hard to make the time. And even when you have the time to put yourself in a space where you are able to actually benefit from it. So I very much like 
the no agenda concept, because often I certainly speak for myself and probably others as well, sort of when you have this time that is designed for you, there's the stress of making sure that you make the best of it. And, you know, if you don't have anything to do, there's a sense that you're wasting it. But truly, if you regard it as having no agenda is the gift. I mean, it's if you stare into space, it's okay. <laughs> you're giving your brain a rest. <laughs> so, so that's really valuable advice. So I am going to wrap it up here sorrowfully because, as I said, I could just talk to you and, and we'll talk again. <laughs> but before I, I, first of all, I want to thank you so much, Patricia. You're amazing. And this was a great conversation. And I want you to tell our listeners how, because I'm sure they're all like, how do I hear from this woman again? How do I find her? Tell us again how people can follow you. Sure. So if you want ice cream, you can, you can follow us <laughs> yeah. on Instagram at, at Sugar Hill Ice Cream. Then for coaching and just like, insights on motherhood and the coaching again is really about life it's about life it's about balancing it all it's for the it's for the the mother who's like an achiever but also like wanting to live intentionally and authentically and not be like beat down to the ground because of said job right um you can find me on instagram at ask petrushka so ask like hello i have a question and then petrushka p-e-t r-u-s-h-k-a and then on my website it's askpetrushka.com there will be a pop-up that you can sign up for a weekly email that is just a, a nugget, a thought. It's usually what I'm thinking about. There's really no agenda. There's no, there's no plan. I'm not bad content like managing my stuff yet. You know, it's just organic <laughs> thoughts from Petrushka's mind every week. And so that is an email that usually includes a few pictures from like my travels in the city and some reflections. And so that is delivered to inboxes on Saturday or Sunday. And that is how we can stay in touch. Great, great. So one thing before we go, and that is you have to play the lightning round. Oh, yes. With the GCP lightning round. Four quick questions. Are you ready? I am, I think. Okay, okay. Number one, your favorite poem or saying? I'll just quote my mother, the Doris McMillan of my life. And, <laughs> and I'll just say that relationships are everything. There's so many things that she has said that I hold on to. That's the one that I, that's top of mind. Great. And your favorite two children's books, and they can be one from when you were growing up and one from the, your, what you read to your kids or however you want to do that. That's just really hard, Carol. Um, okay. Or it can be two that your kids love. That's also really hard. <laughs> we, just got, <laughs> we just got this new book. It's called Aaron Slater Illustrator. Okay. Oh, and cool. Ada Twist Scientist. The, that whole series is phenomenal, but like we really love it because of the drawings, the narrative. Obviously, Ada Twist is a, a young black child. Aaron Slater is a young black boy. And, and, and they are being portrayed with beautiful prose and illustrations about all the possibilities of how you can spend your time as an adult, you know, making and creating. So oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Two, no more sort of curation recounting. Okay. Now, okay. Mom moment. Yeah. Two quick moments. First, a mom moment that you would just love to do over. Because I because I messed it up. <laughs> is it, is that yeah, yes. No, not because it was thrilling. Okay. 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 <laughs> I'll ask you about the thrilling one. Next. Like I got those, but I got more of the like, mm, I, I could do that over again. I think it was, I mean, I've grown so much from this. So in a way it's like, it needed to happen the way that it did. But when our eldest child, when it became apparent that she had dyslexia, Actually, before mm -hmm. it became apparent that she had dyslexia, because I was raised, even with my dad not being present in my home day to day, like with that achiever mindset, like you go and you do, you do well and you do, like, like you show up and you perform. I was carrying that into 
my relationship with her and she's the first. So she was the recipient of my, you know, ignorance. Mm -hmm. And I really, I think harmed her approach to learning. And now we're in the process of undoing that. We've switched schools and I think, you know, we're on a good road, but I wasn't able to engage her as an individual. I saw her as how she's going to be when she's older. Do you know? And like, therefore you need to do these things. You're being lazy. And that's like a terrible word. Like it's a bad word mm-hmm. again, rooted in imperialism, mm-hmm. all things, but it messed a lot of things up. <laughs> so if I can do that mm-hmm. over again, I would, but again, because yeah. it happened, I've now learned from it. So. Absolutely. Okay. And finally, a moment when you knew you nailed it as a mom. Oh. Well, that same child during Women's History Month in after school made this beautiful little word web about her mother. Because I guess they asked, like, what do you what do you think about your parents? And she, she wrote my name in the bubble. And then she wrote all of these adjectives. And I was like, I am honored. <laughs> like, you can just, what do you want to eat for dinner? I'll make it. Like, like what is my favorite dish? Beef pot pie, which is her favorite dish. And it, it was just like, Petrushka, strong, nice, caring, smart, pretty. Like it was all very generous adjectives. And I was like, I'm going to cry. And I have it, I have it up like in my little closet area and I just look at it. So I I was like, "Hmm, okay, she loves me. She's, she's feeling it. This is good. Okay. Absolutely. And so I'm so glad you kept that because she's nine now. You're going to need to refer to that when she's say 15, 16, just, you don't, don't show it to her because that will cause issues, but just when it gets really tough, go into that room and look at that and just recall all of those great feelings and and it'll be balm for your soul. So good. I'm glad you have that. (laughs) That's right. That's my plan, Carol. (laughs) So. Great, great answers to lightning round. Patricia, thank you again so much for being here with us today. And I hope everyone listening will run to the website, the Gold Belly website, if you don't live in New York, and order up some ice cream and <laughs> and then follow her on all of her, the ways that you can, because she is a delight and, and it will make your life better. Thank you, so, Carol. Thank, thank you. You. You're, you know, you're my new friend. So, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. so much more. Yes. It's just wonderful. And I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. No, this is great. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.